one last thing that I wanted to mention in terms of like Chomsky's uh, problematic uh, friendships was that he was friends with the chemical engineer at MIT, uh, John Deutsch. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, who would eventually become a director of the CIA. Um, and I think he was secretary of defense uh, at one point. Uh, am I wrong? Uh, I'm um, not sure, but he will. Oh, he we have deputy brought secretary of defense. Yeah, uh, we have we have brought him up yeah. as the CIA director who was famously publicly humiliated by Michael Rupert at the town hall yeah. in South Central Los Angeles in the 90s, where he yelled about how the CIA had been trafficking drugs for years, and everyone applauded. And John Deutsch had to do his like pursed, like, uh, regretted, bureaucratic regret face, uh, and, you know, deny it, whatever, uh, served on the boards of Citigroup, Cummins, Raytheon, and is a member of the Trilateral Commission. Yes. Uh, good friend of Noam Chomsky. (laughs) Yeah, apparently one of the few members of the faculty, uh, Chomsky, that is, who supported John Deutsch's candidacy for president of MIT. Wow. Yes. Uh, this is what Chris Knight says about that. Mm-hmm. To appreciate the glaring contradiction involved here, it is worth remembering that, according to Chomsky, the CIA does what it wants, carrying out assassinations, systematic torture, bombings, invasions, mass murder civilians, and multiple other crimes. In Indonesia in 1965, the CIA organized a military coup to prevent the Communist Party, described by Chomsky as the, quote, party of the poor, from winning a key general election. The ensuing repression resulted in a staggering mass slaughter of several million peasants. Chomsky recalls the CIA pointed out in its report, which has since come out, the slaughter that took place ranks up with the Nazis and Stalin. They were very <laughs> proud of it. I knew you were going to get upset. Yeah. Uh, of course, <laughs> and said it was one of the most important events of the century. Uh, the massacre Chomsky describes is not in dispute, and his outrage is clearly genuine. So Chomsky was not just flitting between different worlds. As he settled into his MIT job, he found himself nudging between colliding tectonic plates. Deutsch's original claim to fame between two uh, had been sorry to uh, 1978 research papers on thermobaric weapons, vacuum bombs, or fuel air explosives, as they were called. Even before Deutsch's appointment to run the CIA, Chomsky could hardly have introduced his peculiar friend of his to a meeting of anti-war activists. Conversely, while chatting with Deutsch, he surely would not have welcomed the presence of any activists which would join the conversation. As he flitted between one side of his life and the other, Chomsky in fact needed and did his best to construct a veritable firewall to keep these two constituencies of his apart. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I guess this was, was one of the people who uh, Chomsky, like, you know, really wanted to defend from uh, the statement that I just read from from that book, that, uh, you know, he eventually, you know, basically Chris Knight again says, Noam rejects my description of Deutsch as someone who brought biological warfare research to MIT. He alleges that in making this claim, I relied exclusively on an unreliable source, the underground student newspaper, The Thistle. This is quite untrue. Simplifying again, Noam overlooks the fact that I backed up, wow, calling him Noam, first name, overlooks Mm. the fact that I backed up my account with additional references from MIT's own newspaper, The Tech. Let me quote from this newspaper. Beginning in 1980, Deutsch took a part in a classified defense science board study on chemical warfare and biological defense, and in 1984, Deutsch chaired another DSB task force on the same subject. Deutsch acknowledged that, and in that time period, he had alerted the chairman of the chemistry department and applied biological sciences department to available army contracts for mycotoxin research. He said that he sees nothing inappropriate with that action. The tech also <laughs> reported scientists in chemistry and the applied biological sciences at MIT received $1.6 million from the Army to conduct basic research in toxins that could be used in biological warfare. Cool. Um, yes. Hmm. Uh, that was the, the main thing. Yeah, there was some other like, small debate over like a little uh, 
you know, uh, thing. But he did say that he wished he had included in his book uh, this quote from Nature, uh, from 1982 uh, edition of, of the journal. Two years ago, the Pentagon's Defense Science Board, chaired by John Deutsch of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, recommended a start in the production of binary weapons, that's like nerve gas weapons, mm-hmm. uh, the Department of Defense to prepare for a major increase in its chemical warfare program. Uh, mm-hmm. he says, I hope that makes the point of about the sort of science that Deutsch was involved in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and he writes, yeah, again, the issue is Gnome's Gnome's eagerness to defend his MIT colleagues as if their research priorities were not military at all, but were somehow compatible with his own anti-militarist commitments. You know, and uh, and yeah, he goes on to talk about you kind of basically to recapitulate what his his book says about uh how like his early work was like heavily sponsored by the military and that he was, you know, uh, Chomsky said himself, I was in a military lab. If you take a look at my early publications, they all say something about Air Force, Navy, and so on, because I was in a military lab, the research lab for electronics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it was all, you know, military supported, uh, his early work. And like in the acknowledgments of his early books, you know, they, they uh, credit the funding that he received from military sources. I mean, yeah, the military funds a lot of things, especially in the sciences, which Chomsky was trying mm-hmm. to establish linguistics as being part of. But yeah. You know, like, this is something, like, to, like, talk about and, like, not conceal. Yes. Like, what the hell, you know? Like, And uh, it sounds so similar, and I'd be interested, I, I confess to, like, not knowing the uh, the entire, like, you know, chain of lineage, but it sounds like he was part of the vaster project that would eventually become uh, ARPANET and then finally the Internet, and he was even working on certain parts of it, like Sage, which directly did, uh, though it was happening, I guess, a little bit more on the West Coast. Uh, didn't we read in a very early episode how Lewis Terman's son kind of wanted to, like, take the crown away from Harvard and MIT and Yale and make Stanford, like, a big player in this kind of a electronics research? I don't recall. And maybe. I, uh, I, maybe I read that but didn't mention it on the episode. Uh, I'd love to get mm-hmm. back to Termin, the Termins one day. But I think you really did see it like SRI at like UCLA and Stanford. They, I guess, found a way to construct a programming language. It sounds like they were they were grasping at the same goal. But the actual use of Chomsky's universal grammar concept, unless I'm wrong, unless in some way they did directly influence the development of programming languages for computers, which was happening basically happened. I mean, ARPANET started in what, 1969? So, I mean, this is like in the imminent lead up to like the, the rollout of the first version of the Internet. And Chomsky... Just on that level alone, like Chomsky kind of has like nothing to say about the internet. In it, that's like he he's almost like kind of on it. He's not he's no more interested in it than anybody else who might make like a casual op- observation about like the effects of social media or something like that. But he seems like he doesn't even want to go near this topic at all because it would get too hot too fast, and all of a sudden we'd be wondering like, okay, you were pretty close to all this. Like maybe you're, you know, they, they sponsored multiple different approaches. Chomsky's was one that they thought was going to work, and if it had it would have become like kind of a, a foundational part of the, like a building block of the internet. Uh, but I guess it didn't, it seems, I mean, but I, I mean, don't, it, we don't, yeah, we I don't, don't really know, but yeah, I mean, I would think that like, obviously that would have some kind of, some sort of, uh, influence or some sort of connection. Like, you know, I mean, this is a huge revolution, like language as like, uh, 
as Knight pointed out, you know, this is something that elevated the status of computer science to Mm -hmm. having, like, direct relevance to human beings. You know, his work is actually really uh, influential, and he would, like, make these comparisons to computers, and he was kind of, at least his work was, used as uh, part of this, you know, uh, big sort of utopian blush over the possibilities mm. of the internet. Uh, so, I'm, I, hmm. you know, I think, yeah. you know. Yeah, uh, I, I yeah. I mean, it's, it's easy to... Because, hmm. yeah, I feel yeah. like his big kind of, like, bugbear was behaviorism, and, the you know, the reason why he was so opposed to that, uh, according to him, is that, you know, it was, like, totalitarian, you know? Like, yeah. uh, you could use behaviorism, you know, going by that, according to that, uh, that theory, that methodology, that framework you could just like shape people using like social mechanisms of control to do or believe whatever you wanted. Yeah. But, which know, isn't, which isn't a wrong yeah. concern to have about BF Skinner and behaviorism. Like BF Skinner's yeah, pretty sus. No, but it is interesting that like he had such an impact on the development of the idea of the mind as like a wet CPU. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, and therefore like you would th- like to me, I think of like a computer as being programmable, you know, like whatever their, like uh hardware is or whatever you know if they have like inbuilt firmware or something that's like a language dna code thing you can if you can you can hack it still you know uh you can hack the system if the mind is a computer you know yeah so. exactly well th- that is leading me to i'm gonna drop a, like a bit of a, a hot take like hypothesis of a way of looking at a lot of this like linguistic work and or really just pose this question but in some ways, was Noam Chomsky sort of like a technocratic capitalist Lysenkoist for the Americans? Like, yeah, I, I think actually, and, and I, I'm speaking as not true. an ex, not an expert on Lysenkoism by any means. I am fascinated. I'd love to do an episode about it one day. Uh, but I, I just, if we're even just taking kind of the normative understanding of Lysenkoism, that it was like ideologically motivated, and it, it's like ideology like got in the way. Of you know, and like debunking, uh, God, what was it like well, yeah. Lamarckism or whatever? Like basically, like offering a whole new theory of how you know, like uh, genetics and things like that, and how uh, there, there were things about it about how like nature like naturally tended towards cooperation instead of like struggle and violence, and like the idea that like the animal kingdom was like a vicious, you know, like the the biological world of like plants and animals was like inherently like violent and like every being for itself was like bourgeois propaganda. And you know, like there was that whole thing, but there was like an ideological use value contained in doing that. So, you know, you could just say like, oh, but the science, like, but we all know that like science is always mediated by whoever's in charge. Uh, whatever, whoever's kind of in charge of the power structure. And it would be really naive to assume that those types of things in a variety of ways weren't going on in our, you know, in the United States at that time and like in the West. And so in a way, it's like Chomsky, even though his line of theorizing kind of ended up in a little bit of a dead end, it was ideologically productive and therefore was a part of this larger project, even if he didn't discover, like, the actual well, Da Vinci Code like, of how well, to create the, the internet. Well, that's the thing with Chomsky, is that, like, the evidence, like, you know, isn't there. Well, that's at least what his, you know, maybe his defenders would say something different. But what his critics say, and what I think he himself acknowledges about earlier formulations of his theory, is that it's just, like, the idea and, like, the facts supporting it aren't really present. 
Like, you can't actually <laughs> prove it. it. He has a lot of that, like, uh, there's a lot of that kind of, like, uh, the vibe of that guy who did those experiments on yes. recognition. I totally, and then yeah, when people yeah. were like, this can't be replicated, he was like, what do you, well, like, none of my work has ever been able to be replicated and yeah. I'm like a celebrated like you know it's like, <laughs> what are you talking block. about but yeah like what do you mean yeah that's kind of like who cares you kind of get that impression <laughs> with Chomsky where like you know I think that there's even some quote where he says something like someone asked him like what is minimalism and he mm. says something like I guess it's the best explanation we currently have for what language is or something like you know his new uh, thing is, okay is, that's his know, new minimalism, take right okay um yeah um, oh, yeah, no, uh, this is, again, this is from the same blog we, we were reading before. As a result of all this, one sympathetic interviewer felt bold enough to ask, what exactly is UG at this stage, universal grammar? Chomsky mm-hmm. replied, well, what's universal grammar? It's anybody's best theory about what language is at this point. I can make my own guesses. Summing up decades of intensive work then, Chomsky can only tell us the nature of UG is anyone's guess. When uh. a theory tells you that anything goes, you really do know that this is not science. Um, so there is definitely like a certain boldness to it. Like, again, I yeah. kind of like appreciate, uh, the audacity of it. Um, and it kind of, but yeah, you definitely get the sense of like looking like you can, uh, shape the facts to fit it. And he like, you know, he openly yeah. kind of talks about like Galileo or whatever and saying mm-hmm. like, well, Galileo couldn't prove heliocentricity or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but um, or he, but he, some would like, say nobody knew. has. No, just kidding. Um, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> or it was like, a Jesuit uh, psyop. I heard that recently. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, he or said Copernicus something like well. uh, he said something like <laughs> physics. Uh, you know, like uh, in physics, there's like this principle that like things tend to be elegant and beautiful. So you know, hmm. you can just apply that to like theorize. You don't need to necessarily have this idea of the facts or whatever, you know, or, like, I uh, have any kind of, like, actual proof for it. Um, it's just the the principle, <sighs> what, like... You, uh, huh. You know what's interesting about that is that Chomsky, and he is kind of maybe a similar generation to that guy who talked about, like, what do you mean reproduce my studies? But it's basically, it sounds like, you know, it's yeah, like when the mask comes off a little bit, he really is a social scientist at the end of the day, not a hard which scientist. Which is shocking because he hates the, you know, the social scientists, the sciences, and he doesn't consider them to be, like, real scientists or to have anything of value to say about anything. Yeah, so much of his uh, ego yeah. is wrapped up in, like, well, but I this, this firewall so personality. I think that, that is unfair to the social sciences to say that. Like, well, uh, yeah, no, I'm not, I, I, no, in a way you're right. In a way it is uh, unfair, like, but it's like. he hasn't done any significant social scientific work. Yes. Like, he certainly, like, you know, I mean, he really it is in a way, like, more of a STEM guy, but, like, is his, like, is his theory about language, like, true? Like, maybe in a way. Well, that, that's kind as, of like, what I mean. The is letters like he's, of the Arabic alphabet are, like, inscribed upon, he, like, yeah. you know, the fabric of the universe and, like, the Quran, like, you know, uh. <laughs> was like God's uncreated speech. Honestly, like reading about this like makes me want to compare like Chomsky's theories with like, you know, like Hanbali and like Harufi like ideas uh, about like the, you know, uncreated Quran. But like like seriously, yeah, yeah. that's like really what this most but, resembles to me. Like, I guess what it, yeah, uh, I think that no, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think maybe what I mean by that is like was he at heart like really a, like a confused social scientist who didn't think he was a social scientist, but he was. And, like, he was doing, like, an insight role in, like, the STEM field. But, like, not, and I'm not saying, like, that's really what he 
thought he was, but just looking at like what objectively he sort of did and the work he produced, and then like his uh, sort of allegedly like like separate like political kind of personality that he had, you know, is like a kind of political philosopher. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, it, I think that's what he is. I think that he's a philosopher, like not yeah, really yeah. Uh, like a scientist. Well, exactly, uh, and this was like him like invading the STEM field with like generous assistance from the Pentagon to basically like launch and a kind of ideologically beneficial or compatible uh, new paradigm of thinking in the STEM field to like get people to like approach things, the, the building of computer technology differently and like command and control yeah. systems. And maybe you had to almost in a kind of like quasi like Maoist way, like you had to change the thinking of the people that were working in these like these fields to imagine something that was like highly abstract but like possible, but like possible if you were programming a machine, you know, you could actualize it in this. So in a way, it's like it never panned out on the human side in terms of like that was ostensibly what he was doing was trying to explain human language and human grammar. But it was applicable to a bunch of networked machines. And I mean, I guess even then it, it allegedly it broke down in this like once you got to the 70s because they realized that. Uh, his actual like formulas and stuff, all these like mathy principles and you know calculations that he wrote uh, to basically explain universal grammar, like didn't really have any relevance because they were kind of like smoking mirrors. It's actually mirrors. funny that you mentioned that because uh, there's this book that he wrote uh, that's very hard to find. Uh, this is oh, great. This is you know again from Knight's book, which like mm-hmm. will draw on heavily as one of the the prominent critiques of, of Chomsky here. Mm-hmm. Um, so he says. The benefits, you know, talking about uh, the Pentagon sponsorship, the benefits mm-hmm. went beyond finance. Pentagon endorsement on such a scale gave the impression that even if much of Chomsky's work seemed incomprehensible, it must surely be good science. The military mm. are hard-headed folk. You know, this kind of reminds me a little bit of Theranos yep. almost, actually. Like, Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, George Schultz invested in it. James Mattis. Mad Dog Mattis invested. How yeah, could it be a like, fraud? Yeah, uh, they would, like the military are hard-headed folk. They would not be wasting their money on some left-wing activist nonsense. The mm-hmm. most awe-inspiring and incomprehensible of all Chomsky's writings at the time was his full-length work, The Logical Structure of Linguistic Theory, written during his years as a junior fellow at Harvard. In 1955, the University of Pennsylvania awarded Chomsky his PhD for submitting a thesis consisting of just one chapter. Uh, I wish. Uh, which he had been <laughs> yeah, allowed what, to excerpt that from that fabled work. It doesn't, like, you don't even know, like, how bad this gets. Like, he talked about wow. how, like, his advisor, like, never read his dissertation, like, or anything like that, you know? So, uh, huh. anyway, so what he said, okay, go, yeah, he was go allowed on. to excerpt yeah. one chapter for his thesis. Rumors of the complete manuscript's vast erudition and significance depended in part on the potent factor of mystery. First, it was written in dense mathematical formulae. Secondly, it was almost impossible to get hold of a copy. Even the copies which did exist seemed to have been changed in each reprinting, so that no one knew quite which version was supposed to be the authentic one. The magic evidently worked. As dense as the book is, uh, as restricted to its as its availability was, and as partially read as it was, even by those few who had access to copies, the very existence of the manuscript stood as a guarantor to any gaps of coverage or generality of explication that I perceived as intact structures. This is a quote, I guess, from some uh, earlier Chomsky critic, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who loathe Chomsky and all his works include, predictably enough, a number of prominent linguists on the political right. Two of these, however, Paul Postal and Jeffrey Sampson, were formerly ardent champions of the Chomskyan revolution, which complicates any simplistic attempt to dismiss their intellectual skepticism as political ideology. Hmm. In recent years, Postal has taken to denouncing Chomsky for his un-American activities, condemning his political output as all of a piece with his junk linguistics. 
such a diatribe do little to foster rational debate, but not all post-style criticisms of Chomsky and his, quote, biolinguistics followers are so easily dismissed. Samson's disillusionment first became evident in a 1979 book review. Scandalously, he described Chomsky's 1955 dissertation, now at long last published for all to see, as a long book full of algebraic notation, which may look impressive to the mathematically naive, but which, when carefully examined, turns out to be mathematically semi-literate, containing mm. various expressions which are meaningless, Ooh. or say something other than what the author evidently wants to say, or at best choose a gratuitously obscure way of saying something which a competent mathematician would express straightforwardly. Uh, wow. So, wow. I mean, I'm yeah. getting I'm getting intense flashbacks now, which I might have mentioned once before, like picking up, like going to Moe's bookstore in Berkeley when I was a teenager after reading like my first Chomsky book. And I was like, this guy's got all the answers. And I went and they had all these Chomsky books there. And I decided to like I saw one of the ones on linguistics and was like, oh, yeah, this guy. Everyone says this guy's a genius. And I opened it up. And it, like, made my brain just, like, melt. Like, it was so arcane. And it was, like, looking at, like, a, like a grimoire or something. Like, it was yeah. so abstract and, like, all full of these formulas. And, like, I've never been a math person. But I feel like even if I was, it was, like, such a heavy assault of just, like, occulted information and data that was making, like, really big sweeping claims about, like, the, you know, human nature and all these things. And I remember just, like, putting it back and being, like, I'm going to stick to his, like, political stuff. Like, you know, like, I'm... I, yeah. I, I, I was successfully the psyoped by it. I was like intimidated by this dude's writing. It was like, whoa, this is like too complicated. And so it's quite liberating to hear that uh, other linguists like called him out for yeah. just publishing and kind of like mad lib gibberish. Like super big Chomskyans who were like, you know, uh, danking him in the prefaces to their books and talking about how like his mm. theories would have. I have a th- you know, I like have a theory about that. I have a theory athletes. about how that how that how that could make sense. If in the early 60s they were working with him, even if they knew he had like sort of like lefty anarchist leanings, they believed that he was like contributing essential research for like building military command and control systems because they were right wing. Mm -hmm. Right. They would have probably been in support of that. But then the combination of him kind of going above ground to like become this figure that's like anti-Vietnam War and then the military's realization of finding a different way to build command and control systems and through ARPANET and things like that meant that now his linguistic gibberish was of no longer like strategic tactical use to like the United States government and the military And he was running around like trash talking the troops. So now all of a sudden it was like, you know what? Like, wait, and maybe they went back and read some of his stuff or he finally got published. And they're like, you know what? Like, fuck this guy. Yo, don't just vote. For access to the full length episode, subscribe to the Hour of Frequency at patreon.com slash subliminal jihad.